Okay, so we are still on Genesis, but we're gonna do something different the next two weeks. And um, that is we're going to pick out some of our favorite parts of creation and or that we find interesting and we're going to uh, look at that deeper. Um, so let's do a little bit of review before we do that. So you, that Elise knows what we're even talking about. <laughs> so what have we been talking about in the book of Genesis? Um, what things we, in Genesis. <laughs> what have we focused on? <laughs> okay, so creation. And the flood. Alright, and then we talked about the flood. What else did we talk about? What happened between creation and the flood? Uh, okay. And what else? Is there a little bit of time or a lot of time between creation and the flood? Like, how much time are we talking? I don't know. Is it at least 3,000, right? It's like 1,500. Like 1,500, 1,600. We do know that, I, I didn't write it down, but there, you can, if you look at the genealogy of the line of Seth, you can see exactly what day and even what, or what year and what month the flood happened from starting from creation. So a lot of time passes and what is man doing during sinning. that time? Huh? Sinning. They are sinning, yes. Growing. Okay. They're doing a lot of stuff. Turning into a place where there's like no good people. Okay, yes. So we looked at the beginning of man and in that they are growing. How are they growing? They're building societies. Okay. Which involves cities and technology. <clears throat> They're also growing in population. And then, as Elise said, they're growing in sin. Because they're slowly, more and more, all that they are doing is, they get to the point where all that they are doing is thinking and doing evil continually. Except for Noah. Noah, right? Noah and and Ham and Jacob and all the rest of them. Right. 
and God chooses to save Noah when he destroys the world with a flood. Okay, so that kind of, oh, and then last week, what did you look at? Should be chapter 11. Yeah. What? When he confused the languages. Right. So the Tower of Babel. Yeah. So that's where we get where um, everybody is gets together and they decide that they are going to do what with this tower? They're going to build it and make it big so that they can get a name for themselves. So okay. they can get to heaven. You're right. And what is the problem with that? Why would God want to stop them building this tower? Because that's not how it works. Okay, more than that, because he could just say, he could just let him keep building it and then never get there. He told them to spread it in the world? He did. Because there is nothing stopping them from becoming sinful again, because... Um, says, and now nothing which would be restrained for them which they have imagined to do. Okay, so, so they're they can just do whatever they want, basically. Yes, they're getting back to their the old ways again, right? Mm -hmm. So God separates them, separates confusion in the language, so they can't work together as a whole race, or we can't work together as a whole race, right? And um, so when we look at the Bible as a whole and we look at what's happening in our history, what do we know that the end times will be like? What other time in history will it be similar to? It will be similar to before the flood and everything was... Right. The days of Noah. So what is something that is, um, we see that language is becoming less and less of a barrier between cultures than it used to be, right? And think of when people first came to America from Europe. Nobody spoke the same language. There was a lot of um, misunderstandings and even you go back, I don't know, a hundred years ago, people go to China, people from America or from European countries, they don't know Chinese. Very few people know it. And very few Chinese knew English. And slowly we see that English is, you have really, you have three major languages that 
the world uses, and there's really one language that is used in international dealings, and that's English. So more and more you see that people are becoming unified under a language. So that'll begin to affect how, or be one aspect in how we become more like the days of Noah. Okay. Um, anything else that sticks out to you from our series? There's lots of stuff that we can review. What about creation? Because we're going to talk more about creation tonight. God created light, but he didn't create the sun. And then in Revelation, it talked about God providing the light from himself. Okay. He separated the waters under the firmament from the waters above the firmament, firmament and created the water cycle. Okay. Day three. <clears throat> Natalia, do you know? How about day seven, anybody? What's day seven? He rested. rested. Okay, that's an easy one. Oops. What about day six? And Day five. Was it fish and birds? Yep, fish and birds, or anything that's in the sea and in the air. By day four. This is. These are the tricky ones. Okay, that's the tricky thing, right? And this kind of alludes to what Gideon was talking about. Light, the day four is where the sun, <coughs> moon, oops, and stars are made, but there was light before that. And that's where Gideon was saying that, it, that Jesus was the light or God was the light and that it'll be like that. When he remakes the earth, there will be no sun or moon or stars, but he will provide the light. Okay, so what's day three? What are we missing from our earth? Separated waters from land and plants. Okay, land and we get green plants. <clears throat> and probably other like purpley colored plants, those kinds of things. Yellow plants. But things that are alive but not with a soul or not with a with the breath of life there they have a different kind of life to them right okay so like i said we're going to talk about this week and next week levi and i are each picking something that's our favorite part or something that speaks to us personally and 
everybody has different things in creation that they are attracted to, that they like, that they show interest in more than other things. Some people are really interested in birds. I have a cousin that that's his life passion is bird watching and he records every bird that he's ever seen, where he saw it, and he's got a huge list of ones to see, ones he has seen. When he goes on vacation, he goes places to see birds. That's why he goes there. Some people love rocks. Not just rocks you build with or rocks you landscape with, but they like to know what kind of rock it is and how it was formed. And this one came from a volcano. Some people are into the human body. They want to know how it works, how the insides work, what muscle is attached to another muscle, right? Some people are into the human body to draw it, right? To, to make art that is replicating the human. And these are just tangible things that people are into, things that you can see or like physically touch, but some people are into music. Some people are into how the human mind works, why we make the decisions that we make, the psychology behind things. Um, tonight, I want to look at, at plant life. Namely, I wanna, we're going to look at trees and flowers. Okay? Now, Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, back at the beginning where it all started, both this series and the world. And we're going to look at verse 11 and 12. This is that third day again. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit the seed was itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Okay, so we see that there are plants and they are separated into kinds. Alright? And what do they do? What is their way that they are supposed to operate in this world? They perform photosynthesis and give off oxygen. Oh, yes, but if you were to, um, if you were to assign human attributes to a plant. What is its purpose? What's its job? Um, What's its goal in life that it's trying to do every growing season? Make, yeah, make other seeds, right? Mm -hmm. To produce other ones. A walnut tree produces walnuts in hopes that a squirrel will bury it in the ground and it will sprout. So, and grass, if you let it grow long enough, will eventually produce seeds like wheat, and hopefully when it dries up, the wind will blow it 10 feet 
15 feet and more grass will sprout up. Okay, so um, a more technical term of what you're hoping that they do is they propagate. means they make more of themselves that they're going to continue to produce. Um, so we see that these are separated in kinds. What do you think another word for kinds might be? Because he also uses kinds in regards to animals and things of that nature. Species is another word that you can use. Um, and of which these species of plants. They're estimated to be 400,000 <coughs> different species of plants. 400,000. Which is, that's estimated. They don't even know how many for sure because they discover new ones all the time that they didn't know existed before. And then if you break that down, you can, or you can make it more broad and you can say that from those, that those are derived from about 400, 400 families families of plants and a family of plant would be something like there's the pea family of plants. Does anybody know what might be in the pea family? Peas. Okay, yes, peas belong to the pea family. I bring up the pea family because I have found that many, almost every time I'm like, I really like that flower. That's, that's a, flat, a one that I really like. And then I look it up, I'm like, oh, that's in the pea family. I should have known. It was in the pea family because I really liked it. Um, you're probably familiar with some of these. How about peanuts? Everybody know peanuts, peanut plants? That one's a dead giveaway, right? The first part of it. Um, clover is part of the pea family. Huh? Yes, it is. Well, they're playing live music for them. <laughs> so you have, everyone knows clover, right? Yeah. And then the flower is like a bunch of little ones. Pink, white, purpley. Anybody ever try it before? Ever eat it? It's kind of it's kind of a sweet honey-like. If you suck the, if you pluck these little flower things off and then turn them around, and you can suck out the bottom, and it tastes like honey. Um, some other ones that you might know. How about locust trees? Do you know the locust tree? 
you Olsons should know because you all have a ton of them in your back corner. And they were just blooming with a white flower. Oh, those. Yes. <laughs> Wait. They're thorny when they're young, the young branches. They're by your grapes. Oh, yeah. yes. those back there. Those. Well, they just finished blooming. Believe it or not, they're in the pea family, and yet they're this huge tree. And those blossoms are also sweet, and you can eat them. Um, how about the sweet pea? Do you know that flower? It, it's basically like a pea plant, but there's not really much. You can't really eat it, but you have all the blossoms on them. Can you? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, it tastes like nothing. You put it in lemonade, it changes the color of your lemonade. Oh, okay. Changes the purple. <laughs> there are like purple, pink, white, the flowers on them. Like a really bright pink, like a fuchsia pink. Um, how about lupin? Do you ever hear of the lupin plant? That one looks like... So it looks like the leaves are like this. There's a bunch of them. And then it grows like this. And it's like a big long stalk of blossoms like that. That's also in the pea family. How about wisteria? Do you know the wisteria vine and then it has the hanging? That's a Crayola Yes. It hangs down like this. And there's a bunch of the flowers. They're kind of cone-shaped and they hang down. They finished blossoming probably a couple weeks ago. And then how about a red bud tree? You ever see a red bud tree? They're like a pinky red. They get blossoms all over the branches in the spring. And then when they do leaf out, they have like a heart-shaped leaf on them. So those are also in the pea family. So you see that there is an immense amount of variety just within this family. It's not just all edible vegetables, but beautiful flowers that are um, there some have a purpose behind them, but some of them are just there for how they look. Um, so, then within that family, if you just take the pea, right? Everyone's eaten peas. Yeah. Has anybody grown peas before? Okay. And within those peas there are many many varieties hundreds of varieties how did there get to be hundreds of varieties of the pea yes yes so what would happen is you grow peas and uh, they think that monks are the first ones who did this with the peas and that they would if you had one that had, say, a pea plant that had three peas in the pod, and then another pea plant that had four peas in the pod, 
they would save all the peas in the four pea pod plant and plant only the four pea pod plant next year in hopes that they would get pea pods with more peas in them instead of just two or three. Now you have pea pods that have like eight, nine, ten peas in a pod, which is much better. Why? You get more food. You don't have to grow as many in a plot of land to get the same yield. But then they also develop things. Have you ever had a snap pea? Like where you can eat the whole pod? You know those have only been around for like 200 years? The sweet snap peas? There's, yes. In nature, right. Before, right, so the Japanese, it's either the Japanese or the Chinese developed those and they crossed a regular pea with, I think the edamame. Um, have you ever had those in like a Korean or like Japanese restaurant? You get, it's like a pea pod that's kind of hairy and it comes and it's got soy sauce over it and you don't eat the pod but you like put the whole pod in your mouth and like just eat the pea in it. Yeah, it's, it's different. It's a little different. But they did some, cro they crossbred those, those two um, those two varieties within the pea family and were able to get snap peas over quite a few years. Um, so we see that this being able to happen in creation, that man is able to be a part of the creating process. So, man can do it through God's creation, he can have a creative part in it. Let's go to verse 29 of chapter 1. And then we're going to jump to 15 and 16 of chapter 2. So let's read verse 29 first. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be for me. And I will put enmity between me and the man. Verse chapter 2, verse. Oh. oh, yeah, verse 15. And the Lord took the man and put him in the, into the garden of Eden to dress it and to eat. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Every tree of the garden thou mayest eat. Okay, so. What we see here is that God is giving man or humans a charge that they're responsible for propagating and taking care of the plants on the earth. So as soon as I see those words in 15 there that man is to dress and to keep the Garden of Eden, I know what that means right away. It, you could almost say that it's just something in my blood. I didn't choose for it to be there, but it's just something that has been handed down, not intentionally necessarily, but my grandmother on my dad's side was one of 
six generations of fruit farmers in the Hudson River Valley. And the farm had been there since their, the, since their family of Dutchmen came to America in the 1600s and started farming. I don't know if they had fruit trees right away, but whatever they did, they were fruit farmers. And then on my mom's side are all farmers, dairy and cash crops and all that kind of thing. And it's something that I can't help it, that I have to be out in the field or the woods or in, in the garden where there's something that awakens as soon as the snow melts in the spring and the dirt is soft enough that it can be worked that I just, it's like you feel a call to go out there and do it. It's just something you, that I feel the need to do. And when God tells Adam to go out there and dress the garden and to keep it, you have to wonder what exactly that entailed before the fall, before sin entered the world. Um, <clears throat> I would like to think, I think that it's more than Adam just walked around the garden and there were fresh apples and bananas and mangoes and raspberries on the trees and the bushes every day. And he just picked them off and ate them as he walked and that was it. I think there was probably more to it than that because God, God made us to do work. His intention was not for us to have to pull weeds and to fight off animals from eating the very little amount of food that we were able to grow. It wasn't his intention that we would have to sweat profusely and barely get by. We don't have to in our wealthy society here, but that this is the plight of man, that it takes everything you got just to produce enough to live. And, but I do think that it meant that he would, Adam would be going out there and trimming grapevines, would be cross-pollinating between pepper plants to get a different taste, would be maybe he was even grafting different tree fruit trees onto other ones to create I don't know a John of Gold instead of a Golden Delicious and a Jonathan you know who knows what Adam was doing out there um, because you maybe he was selecting between the apple trees which had the better taste and he would plant more seeds of that one just to get a different variety. We don't know how long Adam was in the garden before the fall happened, but could have been there a hundred years. Maybe he was only there, I don't know, 10 weeks, who knows how long he was there in the, in the garden of Eden. But we know that it's possible to do these kinds of things because people still do it today and that God put there within the structure of plants 
the ability to be cultivated into just amazing varieties. You look at apples, especially where we live, and there are hundreds of varieties of apples. You can go to Linokin on 104 and pick apples, and they have a section that is like the size of the church parking lot across the street, where in, in the rows, every tree in that row, in each of the rows is a different variety all next to each other. And you eat one and it's mealy and really sharp tasting. You eat another one and it's super sweet and crisp. And there's varieties from 1532, there's varieties from 1820. They have hundreds and hundreds of different varieties and you can just walk down and just eat a different one as you go and throw it on the ground. That's, there's just so many varieties out there besides just when you see in the grocery store. Um, we have crazy things that we have cultivated. Now you have, you ever have those grapes that taste like cotton candy? Yeah. Those are crazy. They, they don't even taste like a grape hardly. Uh, they are, they're so sweet and just a different taste to them. Um, and that, and that's just fruit looking at fruit. Now, then you look at trees. The biggest above ground plants that we know of. Obviously we know of them because they're above ground. But there, there are, and this is getting into a whole other thing and we won't look up, but there are, apparently there are mushroom, well not mushroom, but like funguses that grow underground that are like larger than many, many football fields that are, that have to do with just the whole like ecosystem of roots and underground things that just affect the ecosystem that we, we are just beginning to understand more about. But you look at huge trees, they're massive, right? Some of them are giant like the redwoods. Then you either have other trees that are small like a, like a flowering magnolia tree that has been cultivated for the bright pinks and purples that it creates. And each day in their own way that they have an, a part in how they shape the landscape and how it functions, not just how it looks. Because you, when you have trees in an area, they provide climate control. If you've ever been in a house with no trees around it, or a building with no trees around it, you find out very quickly how much hotter it gets in, the house, in a house than a house that has trees that surround it and block the sun. You ever, um, have you ever noticed the difference uh, on like a hot summer day when the sun is out, how different it is if you are walking out in a field or in the open and then you switch to walking inside a heavily forested woods. It can be as much as like uh, like six, eight degree temperature 
as far as it feels difference just for for changing those things and that helps to grow different things they provide windbreaks they trees also help maintain the ground moisture you would think it'd do the opposite right a plant is sucking up more water but when the shade of that tree blocks the blocks the sun from hitting the ground, it prevents evaporation from the water evaporating out of the ground. I have in my yard right now, because I have all sandy soil, but if you look at my yard, there are trees, and then wherever that sh the shadow of that tree where the sun hits it, that's all green underneath it right now. Everywhere else is totally brown and you can see just exactly where the line, and I even have on some of the lines, right on the edge where they get just enough sunlight, but it's not too dense from the maples, but there's just enough water that they can still blossom. I have tons of Indian paintbrush, yellow Indian paintbrush, weed, whatever you want to call it, that are blooming just in like a perfect line following that shadow line. It's, and that, those are all the just amazing details that God worked out within the plant life to make sure that they can survive, that they can um, make it through the different seasons within the growing season, different moisture levels, different heat levels, all these things. Now, <clears throat> beyond that of the trees providing for just your environment that you live in, they're also one of the most re useful resources that we have. What do you get from trees? Natalia. Paper. All right, paper. That's a good one, right? What else? Fruit. Okay, fruit. Wood. Wood, right? Now, yes, shade. What else within wood? Because that opens up a whole bunch of other stuff. Well, not everything, but what are some things that you can do Furniture. with it? Okay. Huh? Houses. Yep. Can't spell tonight. Furniture is a hard piece. I spell it all the time, though. No excuse. <laughs> um, what was it? What? Houses. <clears throat> yep. I mean, most. Now, it depends on the region, but anywhere that's a temperate <clears throat> climate, it's made out of wood. What else? Uh, How about books? Yes, it is. Yeah, we could have put paper underneath that, right? Because how about heat? Yeah. How long has the world heated in the winter with wood? Like all of all of history, right? Until recently, 
the past couple hundred years, that was the only way to heat. Um, anything else? Anything of anything else? Let me see if I wrote. What? Tools. Oh yes, that is what I, I did have that down. Or handles. Yes, tool handles. Yes. And why why a wood handle? Why would you rather have a wood handle on your hammer than a metal handle? It absorbs shock. It absorbs shock. It is it's stable but has flexibility within it. It doesn't get really hot. It doesn't get really hot, right? So on like cooking pots. What? Yes. Yes. That brings me to my next point is that it's an amazing thing where it's one of our most valuable resources because it's essentially limitless. It's limitless as good as we are at maintaining that resource by replanting them, harvesting the trees that are good for what we need them for, not wasting it. Oh, there, trust me. What, I know that there's a lot out there about, oh, we're gonna lose all of our trees. They're, we're cutting them all down. We actually have more green space and, than in the world than we have, than we did, we did like 500 years ago. We're much better at maintaining it now than we ever have been. Um, and it's an amazing just resource that God has given us. Now, another thing that we don't always jump to with um, when we think of how amazing trees are is what God uses trees to do within the Bible. He uses it as symbolism and to tell parables and things like that right we talked pastor talked on sunday about the fig tree right if you guys want to turn to isaiah chapter 11 this is prophecy here by using a picture that everyone especially then was familiar with This is a prophecy about um, a promise that will be fulfilled, a promise that God made to King David. So let's go ahead and read verse 10 of chapter 11. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Okay, so... It might not seem obvious to you that this is about a tree, but it's talking about the root of Jesse. Do you know who Jesse was in the Bible? Was he like David's father? David's father. Really? Oh. Mm -hmm. 
talking about the root of dress guessing. Now, <clears throat> what do we use to describe a family sometimes? A family tree. A family tree, right? So, how does a family tree stop living? When all everyone in it dies. Alright, when everyone in it dies. So, we had Jesse, then you had David, then you had Solomon. Now, David had many other children, but this is the line of who would rule next. And then you have uh, Rehoboam. Um, I think that's right. And then there are more. They continue on, but eventually something happens to that line. Do you know what happened? What happens to Israel as they continue to turn away from God? They... It gets smaller? Huh? It gets smaller? They do. How's that happen? They get conquered. They get conquered and eventually they are taken as slaves, slaves captives. They're they are slaves, but it's not in the in the sense of like American slaves were or like Egyptian slaves were. They're more taken and said, now you are going to be citizens of Babylon, whether you want to be or not. And these are the jobs you're going to do. But here's houses and you can do what you want on your own time. And we're not going to. So it's different. But. When this happens, the kingship is lost for a long time. So you have essentially what was a big and mighty tree is cut off. It's just a stump now. But in this verse, it says, out of the root of Jesse, Somebody's coming. Have you ever seen where there was a stump where somebody cut it off and then next year or a few years later, a tree, a little sapling, starts out of that stump? Yeah. No? I've seen where it's like they cut it into stump and then like branches start to come out of it. Right. Okay. That is what is being described here that there's still life in the roof and the root and a little new tree is going to come off. It's going to begin to grow. The same thing, uh, we're not going to go there, but the same thing happened in another prophecy in where it describes that out of Babylon he sees a vision where an eagle goes and it plucks off of the top of a giant cedar tree. It plucks the top off of it. Do you know what happens when on an evergreen or a pine 
or, or in cedars, what happens if you cut off the top of the tree? Like a Christmas tree. It does, but it kind of ruins it. It's not the same anymore. Uh, on a pine tree, it'll try to grow off a bunch of different points and it'll just be ugly. It's not going to grow right anymore. It's not going to be that. And on a, and I have two cedar trees in my front yard. The electric company cut the top off of them and they have not grown any taller since. They have not shot off anything. So we see this, it's a prophecy that comes using the tree again as an example. Something people, especially back then where they were more in touch with being out in the wilderness and nature are familiar with where an eagle comes and plucks off the top of this mighty cedar tree and then goes and plants it in a far off land. And, but then later out of that one, that top little bit grows a mighty tree. And this is representative of again, that, that eagle is Babylon. Where they come and they take Israel captive and cut them down, ruin that mighty nation. But out of it later grow, comes Christ. That they are going to be saved for, for the purpose, their ultimate purpose of Christ coming through that nation. Um, we got one more one to look at. This one's not about trees, but we're going to go back to flowers. Luke chapter 12. I'm sure that you are familiar with this one. This is a commonly quoted one. Luke 12, verse 27 and 28. This is Jesus speaking. Okay, so Jesus uses the lily, and he says that um, if he took that, you look at a lily, and we have that, we always have the white lilies at Easter time in the church, right? Um, you're probably familiar with what people call the tiger lilies, the orange ones that are a day lily, and there's other stargazer lilies, all kinds of them. But you look at those and those are always really striking flowers. They are the shape of them, the colors that they have. And Jesus says, look at the lily. If I made that and for something that only lasts for a week or two, I put all of this 
into it to make it look beautiful, to make it operate and grow without any, any effort put forth. It just, it does it on its own. And seemingly serves nothing, right? The only thing it's there for is beauty. I suppose, you know, the bees, something uses the pollen for it. It provides ground cover, but seemingly very little, not a great high purpose. He says, how much more am I going to take in the care of humans that were made after me? Right, we talked about how we were made um, in God's image. And nothing else is like that. He says, look how much more I'm going to take care of you when I take care of flowers that are they're there just for the beauty of it. <clears throat> now, there is something all plant life does for us that is beyond food, beyond food for bees, beyond its usefulness in holding soil together or... Oh, all, or providing food for animals, there's a use to it beyond all of that. Something, though, that affects you greatly. Anyone want to take a guess? Has affects your mind. Yes, they do provide you oxygen. They help with converting um, carbon dioxide, but more than that, have you ever wondered what it might be like if there were no plants on the earth? So forget all the other things that it does with the environment and your need of it for food. Just imagine all that other stuff was taken care of, but you never saw plants you never had them around. You couldn't have access to them at all anymore. How do you think that would affect you? Let's say you even lived underground in a, in like a whole facility underground. Had everything you need, TV, Food, comfort, games, gymnasium, everything you need down there. But what if there were no windows? You never saw plant life again. Would you like it? <laughs> if I didn't know there was a plant, I guess it wouldn't really make a difference. If you didn't know, it wouldn't make a difference. Maybe, I would say it would make a difference because there is something about the way God created you that you need plant life. You need all of that greenery and that stuff around you because scientific studies have shown that when you are around and you even if it's just having more windows in a building 
or you're out in the na nature itself, that it raises your memory, your creativity, your ability to have attention, focus on things, and it lifts you out of depression. They found that just the color green itself is a is calming to us is like something that's a grounding for you and you combine then combine with this all the psychological studies this is we're going to tie it into just the whole picture of creation there are psychological studies that show that just the act of walking alone if you go out and walk by yourself without talking you don't have to have music just you go and walk even better if it's outside that it helps us to work out the problems we have whatever is on your mind or ailing you if you just go out and you walk there's something about you physically moving that helps you just think about those problems now combine all of that with nature that you go out and walk in the nature that helps you with creativity your memory um, just lifting your spirits and then while you're doing all that you are walking with someone and talking with them and then let's say it's a good friend that kind of thing will help you with just your overall mood and with solving problems. But then what if that somebody is God in the cool of the evening? Because that's what we found in Genesis when they first were in the garden that God came down and walked with them in that garden in the cool of the evening that's what made it paradise sure the fruits on the trees was great how perfect all of creation was was part of it but that god came down and walked with adam and eve talked with them talked with them about their day about what they did, about what difficulties that they might have had. Because I think it's foolish to think that there were never any, nothing that was ever difficult. I don't want, not that things were flawed, but God made you to do work. And part of doing work is problem solving, is creating coming up with solutions to things. And I'm sure Adam and Eve were busy doing things. They weren't just out there lying in a meadow, eating grapes all day. It would get old really soon. And nature is just one of those things that's kind of, that was a part of that. God created that creation for them to be in because they needed it. Needed to be around that. Now, why would... He need, they need to be around that. Why do it that way? 
couldn't we have just existed in like on a bunch of clouds and God could have come and sat on the clouds by us be kind of boring for one God likes to be creative he I mean he created 400,000 species of plants just because just to make it interesting but there is something in nature that draws us to it not just plants but all of nature people are obsessed with water the most expensive pieces of property are all on water if you have a house that's built in the middle of a field and you build that exact same house on a lake it's like twice the price or more because it's on water people love water in water moving water even more and then what do people universally around the world bring to other people that are struggling that are going through a dark time that are dealing with death what do people bring them flowers why isn't that just like a, that that's kind of a weird thing that every culture all over the world flowers are there for the happiest times and the worst times well I bring flowers there's something about it that it when you it's expressing beyond what words can do and what is it about nature and it's not because there's some mother in the nature or that we're all one spirit with the nature or anything like that as some people would say but it's because it is just an expression of God and that he made it so that all those people who long to know him can find out more through nature, can find out how creative he is, how caring he is. Like he cares for the, for the birds, he says he cares for us that much more. How he put in effort and value and beauty into the lily, he does that much more for us. So it's just uh, one aspect of creation that points to God in all that he does, his wisdom, his knowledge, his intellect, his skill, his handiwork, and his love that he has for us, that he has created this whole world for us to be in and for us to enjoy along with him. All right, thank you very much.